you know, it used to be oil was the main heat source in the East Coast. We find tons of buildings heated by old oil boilers and even natural gas um, as this fracking boom, you know, wanes and, and more environmental regulations get put in place or we just decrease the supply of that, you know, prices can go up dramatically, whereas the cost of electricity is quite stable. You know, that's just the grid cost. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. Today, our guest is Dave Holman, and today we're talking about green energy incentives, applications, technologies, programs that we as real estate investors can use to improve our bottom line, to make more money, to save more money on our expenses, and a lot of great stuff in there to generally improve our profitability of our properties. I love all of it. This is the wave of the future. And those of us that understand the incentive programs out there, the technologies and things that we can do to improve our bottom line will ultimately make more money. Bear in mind that the car companies, this is one in particular, car companies are telling us that their fleets will be entirely electric vehicles about a decade, 15 years from now. And the time to get started learning about that and applying those technologies to our properties is right now. So something to think about. And there's so much more in here that is really great stuff. So a lot of great stuff here with Dave. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, a real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. I appreciate you tuning in today. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I'd appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that ranks higher. That helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me the warm and fuzzies because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. I appreciate that so much, just like I appreciate you tuning in today. No matter what podcast app you use, do take a moment, look up the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, hit the subscribe button, that way you'll get every new episode straight to your mobile device every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Once again, our guest, excuse me, our guest is Dave Holman, and we're talking about green energy technologies, programs, incentives, things like that, that we can apply to our properties to save energy and ultimately make more money. That's what it's all about here. Without any further ado, here we go with Dave Holman. Dave, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Happy to talk with you. I think it's a very important topic that we've touched on on a couple of episodes in the past about looking forward living in a greener society and the impact of climate change and everything like that. Today, we're going to learn about improving our profits through green energy. But before we get into that, can you tell our listeners a bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. I uh, was born in Portland, Maine uh, back in the day, and I'll, I'll give you a day-by-day -day synopsis of my life and then bring you up to speed. Should be about 12 hours. <laughs> and uh, stayed in Maine through high school, uh, went out to Minnesota in the Midwest for college, then down to Bolivia for four years, where I started a chain of camping stores with my then girlfriend, now wife. We moved back to Maine in 2009. I went to grad school, got my MBA to learn what I was doing with these stores and figured out I just needed to know accounting. Uh, and the rest of it was, was pretty easy to pick up and then went into the nonprofit leadership and fundraising space. So worked for one helping kids in the Guatemala city garbage dump called safe passage for three and a half years. Uh, then went on to Bowdoin college, uh, did fundraising for them. And, and by that time I'd started investing in real estate 
it got to the point where I was, you know, I had 32 units. I had started my management company. I had gotten my broker's license and I was like, I really need to choose careers here because doing two full-time jobs at least is not a very sustainable path. So chose real estate uh, back in 2019 um, before the pandemic and um, have been full-time ever since. Awesome. Awesome. Do you still have the uh, sporting goods stores? Uh, yeah, we, we downsized my father-in-law in Bolivia has been running those. Um, it's now basically just out of his house as a, you know, online thing. Cause the pandemic was really bad, um, you know, there and, and they just didn't feel comfortable with the in-person stuff, but yeah, we're still, we're still doing it. It's called the spitting llama bookstore and outfitter. And if you need a bike or something in uh, Cochabamba, Bolivia, we're, we're the people to ask. <laughs> Awesome. I love that. Now, can you tell us about, uh, you know, get us introduced to at least your journey in green energy as it pertains to your real estate investments, how you get get started, and then we'll get to to, uh, some lessons and principles. Yeah, it's what really helped me overcome, I guess, the stigma of like the word landlord and and real estate in general um, was that I could make other people's homes greener using their rent money to do it and make more profit in so doing. And I was like, wait a minute, this is kind of a win-win-win. And that's what I've pursued. And, And you learn that some strategies are indeed unaffordable and not sort of economically viable when you're dealing with rental properties. And then others are just a grand slam home run and you'd be crazy not to do it. Yet so many landlords, you buy a building and you just keep doing it the way it's always been done. And you don't really think outside the box. Similarly with syndicators building huge apartment buildings or or multi-units, they just, they take the architect and engineers, you know, words at face value and don't kind of poke and prod and question what can be done. And and thus they have a lower NOI, Um, you know, so I try to see where it's appropriate to add in, you know, energy efficiency um, and just kind of healthier buildings that people want to live in and stay in longer. You know, that translates to lower turnover and and higher rents. Mm, Okay. Now, this has been on my mind recently. Someone reached out to me and kind of pitched me on, say, uh, solar panels. I think it was for for our properties. Um, and, And I'm all about the green. You know, I've been for our listeners probably none of them know this. I've been vegetarian for, I think, 60, six years to reduce 60 my, years. You look phenomenal. 60, um, 32, <laughs> six years uh, to reduce my environmental impact. And, you know, I try to make decisions in that way. But for when we're talking about a real estate investment, you know, the, the return for our investors and the business plan yeah. has to come first. And I didn't see that connection between solar panels and improving our return for our investors in our multifamily. So can you tell us about like really how that leads to a greater return for us and our investors. Absolutely. So, you know, solar is kind of the most obvious example of like green energy and buildings. It's also one of the trickiest to actually implement in a, in a cost-effective way. So I think it's a great thing to do, but you need a couple prerequisites. You know, first of all is you would probably only want to do it in a long-term hold. Because if you're going to sell the building in two or three years, you're only going to recruit, you know, like a quarter of what you put into the panels. I mean, they're worth something. The building's worth more because they have them, but it's not a one-to-one face value kind of thing. You know, you might do them for the tax reasons. You know, you get a 26% tax credit through the end of this year. And I think they've extended that. And frankly, with this, who knows what will happen with this infrastructure bill, but it could get even better, you know, going forward. Then, uh, so for a, you know, I'm a very long term buy and hold investor, and I pride myself on never having sold anything. My liquidity strategy is refinance. 
Um, and I would rather do that tax-free than sell it and pay taxes and broker commissions, even though I'm a broker. <laughs> and so for long-term buy and holds, solar makes great sense, especially for buildings and units where you need to pay a significant electricity bill as the owner or landlord. Now, I never want that. I always want my tenants to be the one paying their electricity bill. However, I own a lot of mixed-use buildings that have small offices. And in small offices, they're rarely separately metered, and it's often you know, uh, combined. So you really, as a landlord for a small office, at least in the East Coast, you're typically including electricity as a gross you know, lease as a gross uh, rent for them. Um, and so those are cases where, gosh, if you're paying a couple thousand dollars a month for a building and electric bills to either heat it or just provide the energy um, for the units, then you're looking at a very significant, you know, 12 to 20% payback. You know, in Maine, we have some of the highest electric rates in the nation. So, you know, your local utility rates can make a big difference on when solar, you know, makes sense, you know, from an ROI perspective or not. Um, the other Another really interesting possibility now, at least in Maine, and I think this is happening across the country, is that you're getting what are called community solar farms that are starting up. So these are large ventures, and you can buy into them almost like a cell phone plan where it'll just lower your energy bill by about 10 to 15%, and you can get out any time. So that makes a lot of sense to switch into for a lot of people because then you can still sell the building in three years. You just cancel your plan. There's nothing to recoup, but you've saved 10 or 15% of your energy by subscribing to this solar farm or community solar project in the meantime. So I think that's a much lighter CapEx way to get into solar than actually putting the panels on your roof. Um, you're just sort of buying into panels that are off-site. You pay nothing to buy into them. You're just subscribing to them, essentially, paying a slightly lower rate. You know, that company is getting all the tax benefits and the, and the savings, you know, compared to what you're getting and just passing on a little bit of them to you. But as the end user who wants no headaches and cheaper expenses, you know, it's a win-win. And then I think anytime you're going to hold a building longer than seven years, then I would say go for the rooftop solar. It sounds like, though, a little bit earlier where you're saying, if I'm reading between the lines correctly, it seems like you're maybe implying that solar is one option of you know many others that we might not be thinking of. And and am I reading you right? right? I mean, yes. what other options might we have? Yeah, solar, um, you know, it's like the flashiest option, but it's one of the least powerful to mm. me. You know, the, 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 the best thing you can do for buildings is also like the least sexy, which is insulate them. You know, unless you're in like the perma 60 degree, you know, Bay Area climate, you're going to have winter where it's very cold and you're going to have summer where it's very hot. And in both of those environments, uh, the, the heating and cooling loads in the building are going to be exponentially higher than in the kind of shoulder seasons. If you as an owner or landlord are paying any of those costs, it makes huge sense to insulate the building. In the insulation, you usually want to do in the attic, in the cap of the building, because heat rises and you want to keep the heat in. Or conversely, in the summer, you want to keep the heat out and you want a big, thick barrier you know, between you and the super hot roof. And, and then down in basements, especially in northern climates where you've got winter Pipes can freeze, you know, in very cold basements if they're not well insulated and putting spray foam around the edges of them 
helps prevent moisture getting in. Uh, it retains heat. And it means that if you were at one point heating a basement, which I've bought a lot of buildings, you know, and, and here up in the East Coast where they heat the basement to prevent the pipes from freezing, they're just throwing thousands of dollars down the toilet every year. You insulate it once and you're done. And it's like a 30 to 100% ROI annually on that investment. So you think about it, a lot of the energy efficiency improvements you can make to a building have a higher ROI than the building itself does. And they they help drive your building ROI up. You know, as soon, as soon as you can chop out heating costs to a building or cooling costs and put that either on tenants or just reduce it overall by a significant percentage, that translates into NOI, that translates into appreciation. You know, I think heat pumps are phenomenal other alternative, you know, to solar where they're the most efficient way to heat a building now, basically. And, you know, it used to be oil was the main heat source in the East coast. We find tons of buildings heated by old oil boilers and even natural gas um, as this fracking boom, you know, wanes and, and more environmental regulations get put in place, or we just decrease the supply of that, you know, prices can go up dramatically. Whereas the cost of electricity is quite stable. You know, that's just the grid cost. Heat pumps are very efficient compared to the resistance baseboard that got a bad rap in the 70s when a lot of that was installed. But, you know, if you take like a, say, four unit building that is heated by one central boiler of a fossil fuel that the landlord's paying 10 grand a year for the heat of for all the tenants because it's not separated, you kill that thing, you put in four heat pumps, costs about $20,000. You're saving 10 grand a year and it only costs you $20,000. You know that that's a fifty percent ROI right out of the gate, and it's permanent. So, um, and the tenants love having heat pumps. It gives you heating and cooling. You know, right at the click of a uh, remote control. Those units are usually warranted for ten to fifteen years, and I've never had one break in the I guess nine years that I've been installing them now. So, it, it, there's a lot of very different, interesting options. And the bigger the building, the more complex you can get. You know, we're building a fifty-seven unit apartment building in an opportunity zone now. And, you know, the law requires you to have a fossil fuel generator as a backup. Well, now we can install battery banks to circumvent that. And those can actually help us reduce our electric bills, you know, for the house meter and so forth. If we're using solar to charge those, you know, during off times or or just um, use it for what's called demand response, which is going to be a huge new part of the energy picture in the future as you know, if you as a landlord sign up for a demand response program, then the utility or or the provider can uh, control some of your peak loads. And so they might turn your AC, you know, up from 60 to 62 during the peak load times or, you know, whatever it may be, cycle your unit off for five minutes, then put it back on. So you're not getting a big temperature drop, but th- it helps them regulate peak demand and they'll pay you for that. So landlords, I think this will be a really important income stream in larger buildings in the future as the building gets smarter and we're able to kind of control the loads uh, and moderate those based on supply and demand. You become, you go from an energy user to an energy supplier to the grid. Nice. And I would expect that batteries in the basement would have less of a maintenance, ongoing maintenance headache compared to a fossil fuel generator, which probably needs oil changes and maintenance and all that kind of stuff. Batteries probably kind of set it and forget it. Maybe have a guy come check on it every once in a while, but not a lot of moving parts, not a lot to do. As long as it's working, you're good to go. Exactly. Yeah, it's a lower maintenance cost. I mean, the generator, you've got to fire it up and run it and test it, I think, every month. Um, you know, there's a lot of rules around them uh, that are inconvenient and loud. 
Um, the batteries <laughs> are silent. So, you know, I, I think it's a transition that'll happen over time. Um, you know, for some cases and uses, it's too expensive. And for others, I mean, California is starting to mandate that, uh, you know, and they've been, you know, sort of leaders in energy efficiency. I expect that to continue. And, you know, they're sort of at the tip of the spear of climate change right now with wildfires and smog and drought and everything else. We in Maine are still fine knocking on wood and don't tell anyone because we don't like crowds. So, uh, but it's going to happen everywhere. And I think buildings will have to become more adaptable to the extreme, you know, winds, heats, uh, humidities, those sort of things. Absolutely. Now, something I wonder here, anytime we're evaluating any investment or any aspect of our investment strategy, we need to understand how to underwrite it and project what we think we're going to get really before we get into the property, we need to know what we're looking at. And there are two questions around that that I would have is how would you recommend kind of evaluating the the anticipated ROI when looking at a building and considering some of these green energy alternatives? And then two, in my opinion, there's a lot of uh, vaporware, if you will, out there in this space. Um, as a you know, uh, someone with an engineering background, I've had um, technologies, quote unquote, presented to me that I'm not saying I'm the greatest engineer in the world, but... I don't believe that it actually works, right? There are people out there who say they can run a car on water. Well, no, you can't. The thermodynamics doesn't work. You can't do it. And I've had technologies, quote unquote, presented to me that say, we're going to reduce your water bill by blah, blah, blah. But water doesn't work the way in which their you know technology presumes to you know work it on. So how do you evaluate the numbers, one? And then how do you, two evaluate the technical like feasibility of these things especially if you're not like an expert in that area and you're not trying to become yeah. uh, like a, a phd engineer right that's a great question and there certainly is a lot of greenwashing out there you know a great example mm -hmm. was the patriots game the other night which we should have won and there was an add-on for like the massachusetts you know oil heating consortium and they were saying it's bio oil now and it's all you know Still carbon trying to be carbon neutral or whatever, like it's oil heat, like, come on, you know, that to me is greenwashing. So you got to watch out for that just because someone, you know, slaps the word sustainable in their marketing doesn't make them so. Now, the good thing about underwriting and ROI, uh, very good news for everyone, uh, green technology, energy efficiency, all these things don't matter. All that matters is NOI. <laughs> You know, and so they only matter to the extent that they're going to drive that long term. And so it's the same underwriting. It's the same math. I look at it the same way, not a lick of difference, but I see opportunities in, you know, uh, building, you know, T12s and, and financial histories that other people might not. Anytime that I'm seeing a fossil fuel system in a building that's heating it, I'm kind of thinking, ooh, could we put in heat pumps, put those, you know, electricity utility costs on the tenants? How much would it change the performa for me to remove that $30,000 cost and put it to zero? And I've done that on many projects and it's cool. I mean, that's a real game changer that you can do where like, all right, the past 20 owners of this building for 150 years all had a big central heating plant, whether it's a four unit or a 40 unit. And sometimes it, it just makes dollars and cents, you know, logic to switch it out now uh, and to give people individual controls. So same underwriting as before. With the technologies, you know, that is evolving really quickly. And there's a lot out there that I don't understand. And, and, you know, that I think you just have to be a learner. You have to be curious. You have to ask a lot of questions. You have to go to the experts for their guidance and then get second opinions and, and try to see, gosh, should I really put batteries in my buildings or not? Is this really going to be cost effective or not? 
there's plenty of times when I've looked at an opportunity to kind of go green, quote unquote, and had to pass on it because it's just too expensive and it's not going to generate a dime of extra rent. And, you know, sometimes you do the right thing when it's low hanging fruit, but the higher the fruit gets up in the tree, the more you need to think, maybe we need to wait five years and see if the technology improves or, you know, I, I don't think Rome was built in a day. Last time I read my history, uh, as the saying goes, and I think the shift to sustainability and green buildings is the same thing. It's going to take us decades to do it, but we need to be curious and learn about it. Cause it's just like people who poo pooed the internet, you know, back in the nineties. So like, this will never catch on blah, blah, blah. Like, well, guess what? You're all on your smartphones now. And, um, I think, you know, energy efficiency is the same way and it's not a partisan issue. You know, I think to be have lower expenses is we can all agree that's a good thing. Um, and you can only really do that by being very efficient, you know, with your building envelope design and energy. Yeah. One that strikes me as kind of a, you mentioned insulation kind of in that vein is updated windows. That makes a huge difference in the just experience of living in the property. Even if you're not paying the electric bill, that can cut down your, you know, draftiness, if you will, pretty significantly, which makes it a better place to live in. And folks might be willing to pay more. But again, that's not something I'm sure how you'd underwrite. I think I could get such and such a rent bump just by making it less drafty in the building. I don't know. Yeah, that depends. We do a lot of window swap outs on renovations, particularly, you know, in, in the Northeast where you've got the average age of my buildings is probably like from the 1870s. <laughs> so you've got a lot of windows that are wooden and they've got old lead paint on them and you oh. want to switch that out. It's a liability. You know, they're hard to open and close and, and vinyl windows like we're not installing, you know, the Pella and the Anderson in our rental units. OK, we're doing the basic vinyl. If we get 10 or 15 years out of it, great. But it only costs, you know, 150, 200 bucks a window and you can do a whole apartment for a thousand bucks. You know, you're not um, out too much money, it, you know, for for single family homes, if you want nice quality windows with, you know, triple glazed with argon gas in between the panes or whatever, I mean, you're you're spending tens of thousands of dollars and there's just no return on that investment to speak of compared to insulation and, and lower hanging fruit. So you gotta be smart about it. I think it all starts if you're doing new construction with building design and starting from the very get-go of saying, how can we you know, make the heating load necessary and cooling load necessary as little as possible by the, the design of this building, which is you know, good windows, good shades, good insulation, orientation, things like that, which you know, luckily are things that, that residents and users love. They love natural light. There's so many studies you know, showing that even helps like hospital patients heal faster if they're near a window and they can see green things. I mean, this is, should come as no surprise that you know, we humans evolved in jungles and we like you know, kind of having them around us. I see the plants you know, in your background and, and so forth. And you know, we, we like being near nature. And I think the more we can design buildings with that in mind, the better. Now, this is a whole other topic. I, I totally agree with that this is a whole other topic, though, um, especially as you're doing new development. Something that we're seeing in general is the proliferation of electric vehicles. I have a plug-in hybrid, especially if you're talking about a, a class A property where folks maybe want to drive a, you know, a Tesla or, or, you know, especially we see Ford and Chevy coming out with plug-in vehicles, things like that a little different from the greenness of the building itself, but what are your thoughts about adding on, you know, charging stations for tenants to use? Have you, have you looked into that? I've installed them already. Oh, nice. um, so, you know, it, it's going to be another amenity to offer to tenants and it's a big one. You know, if you're building a class A apartment building, I think you're nuts to build it without chargers sure. because listen to what Ford, Chevy, and GM are telling you. 
they're telling you that in five to 10 years, they are done making fossil fuel vehicles, but they're done. They're not doing it anymore. And everyone is going to switch over. And if you don't have your electrical infrastructure ready for it, it's going to cost an arm and a leg to do in the future. Now, again, I am an indefinite holder. I've never sold. I hold things for a very long term and I do refis so I can plan for the long term. If you're a syndicator looking for a quick in and out three-year, five-year thing, Maybe you do, maybe you don't. And and that, you know, is just kind of a consequence of of the time horizon. But I think for for assets that are going to be around a long time, you know, I want our buildings to exist and be used for 500 years. That's a really important amenity to have for the next 50 years until we figure out a better way to power vehicles. So you want to do that. But I also think uh, be smart about it. Like we're installing chargers that you pay to use them. So we're not giving the electricity away for free necessarily because as you build, you know, more people with electric cars, I mean, that's going to become a huge giveaway and cost to your bottom line. So, you know, I would recommend people look at, you know, smart chargers that can, you know, subscribe to a program where, you know, the user pays for it and you get reimbursed for that electricity. If you're doing it on a large scale, if you're just doing it as an amenity with one or two chargers, you know, to appeal to a few people, then I think it's fine to just have a charger where you're paying the electric bill. But again, another reason why as we electrify all the built environment and the transportation infrastructure. Again, electricity is going to be the name of the game. And in solar is going to make more and more and more sense as time goes on, as more you know bells and whistles in your building and parts of it are going to need electricity to run. Absolutely. There's a, that reminds me of uh, there was a, a new development across the street from my jiu-jitsu gym. And this goes speaks to the, I think, broader appeal of the chargers. They had installed electric car chargers and initially they were free to use. And you better believe I didn't live there, right? But I was allowed to charge my car there for free. And you better believe I did. They're charging now, but they still get used even by people that don't live on the property. So, you know, there there's more demand, I think, than supply for chargers right now. So, you know, I think folks kind of getting into the charging space are really setting themselves up to you know, be kind of a, a leader in the area so that folks know, okay, I can go to charge my, you know, new F-150, Ford F-150 Lightning at this apartment complex I don't live in. So a lot of, uh, I think there's a lot of promising things coming around the corner. Oh, huge. It's another profit center. You know, it's like renting out parking spaces or having a parking garage where people pay by the hour. Now they're going to pay by the hour for the electricity you can supply. So I think it's a great opportunity you know, for, for landlords and managers in the future. And I think the home is where most people are going to want to charge their vehicles. You know, they're, they're not necessarily going to want to go spend two or three hours at a level two charger somewhere at the mall. You know, it's going to be either at home or if you're taking a long trip on a highway at one of the supercharger, you know, direct current stations out there. But I think if you can offer level two charging in buildings, that's a huge amenity and you're immediately increasing, you know, the rent that you can get because, you know, someone who drives a Tesla or whatever they're going to drive, I mean, every car in the future, pretty much, they're going to want to be able to charge at home, you know, and if you don't offer that, they're going to find a different home. Absolutely. I love it. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Have you ever wanted to invest in the private lending and debt side of real estate? You might find that going out and finding borrowers on your own is tough. When you find a borrower, you have the task of evaluating their plan all on your own. And the traditional way of lending private money highly concentrates your risk because you'll probably be funding the whole rehab loan on your own. That meant writing loan checks well into the hundreds of thousands of dollars, placing a lot of risk in individual borrowers and properties, 
Not to mention, there's a lot for you to know in terms of how to structure these loans so that you can help protect yourself and work with the borrower in your interests. Now, there's a new way to invest in the debt side of real estate that turns the private money lending space on its head. You can invest in a variety of debt instruments with this new platform with as little as $10 in each opportunity. You can diversify your investment across a wide variety of borrowers, geographies, and asset types. This new platform is called ground floor. They make it easy to invest in either your name or using your self-directed IRA. And if you don't already have a self-directed IRA, don't worry. They make it easy to get started and get one opened. Go to www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor to get started or click the link in the show notes. See the ground floor site for full terms and details of what they offer. Once again, that's www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor, or click the link in the show notes. Back to the show. All right, Dave, I've got three questions. You know this, you've listened to the show that I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right, great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Well, a real estate investment would be an office building we bought that was positioned as an owner-occupant building. So they had no financials, they had no rent roll, and it was it was very underpriced and it wouldn't sell because it was it's really big and they they didn't have you know an occupant for it that fit the bill so it was on the market for 3 years uh we bought it for a million dollars uh in 2019 um and we're going to refinance it for 3 million uh later this year so what we did is is found that the the anchor tenant who was only occupying half the building was a law firm they wanted to stay we signed a long term lease with them and then we broke the downstairs up into small offices so now we have you know a, a great diversity of you know 20 different tenants in this building um, we have a great cash flow from it and it's a very easy building to operate because it was built recently not the 1870s this was the 1980s and it was a very quick turnaround where the all the changes that need to be made were on the management and kind of intellectual side of it, not on the physical side. It was about the positioning. So that was a great, you know, one of the few uh, home runs that I can say that I've hit. And I'm, I'm ready to talk about the times where I <laughs> fell on my face as well. Next. <laughs> well, like I said, you've listened to this show, you know, this is coming. We had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Well, it's it's uh, it's both the worst and one of the best. So I got under contract on a building that needed massive renovations, and I didn't even know it at the time. I just thought, oh, that looks really cheap. It's in a great location. I'll buy it. I'll put it under contract and figure all the rest out later. Four months and forty thousand dollars of architecture, engineering, consulting later, um, you know, I, I decided to back out and tell my investors, I don't feel confident enough to take your money on this. You know, I, I think I could do it, but I don't want to just think, I want to know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and this one was going to be a two-year historic tax credit renovation, gut renovation of an old 1800s brick building that just needed everything. It had been abandoned for you know decades, but I was paying a high price for it because of the location. So uh, it was a boondoggle to be sure, but I got all that money back in the networking that I built by having to learn about historic tax credits and meet all kinds of professionals in that field um, and the experience and learning I got from it. So I don't regret that failure, but I definitely uh, left with my tail between my legs on that one. Oh, ouch. Well, you're still here today and that's what matters. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? It's not the business or the investment. It's the people. It's the people that you're partnering with. You know, when you're buying a building, it's the tenants 
that you're getting with it. You know, if you're building a building or doing something vacant, it's your investment partner or it's the contractors you're going to use. And I, I think I would say good people can make a bad investment building prop profitable and successful and, and bad people can take the best building and investment ever and just turn it to crap and make your life, you know, misery. So uh, be very careful of who you partner with, make sure it's someone you trust and like, and I've really tried to do that in my career. And I felt like it's always been the right thing to kind of turn down the sexy, flashy opportunities with people that you maybe aren't hundred percent aligned with and just, um, stick with people that really strike you as honest as the day is long. Nice. Nice. Dave, thank you for joining us today. And thank you for everything that you're doing out there. I think embracing energy efficiency is really good for all of us. And thankfully it can be good for our wallets as well as real estate investors. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more or anything like that, talk about any properties you're working on, where can they track you down? Well, I always give out my personal cell phone and, and no one ever calls. So you're invited <laughs> to give me a shout, uh, 207-517-5700. If I don't answer, leave a message. We'll get in touch. Um, you can email me at dave at holmanhomes.com. Our website's holmanhomes.com for our investment group. And our property management group is katahdenmanagement.com. Katahdin, like the name of the mountain at the end of the Appalachian Trail in the great state of Maine. So that's where we're at. We'd love to chat, uh, exchange uh, ideas, and uh, appreciate being on the show today. It's been great talking with you to everybody out there. Thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate that so much because that helps other people learn about the show. That helps us rank higher in the Apple podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a good warm and fuzzy feeling in my tummy because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Thank you for tuning in once again. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Don't forget to subscribe to the show. Catch us every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. And we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.